You receive in the mail a postcard that says three simple words, save the date, save the date. And all of a sudden, months later, you've, you've circled the calendar, you have saved the date, you kind of know what might be happening, but you don't have any idea the details. And all of a sudden in the mail appears this beautiful, this was computer generated with our name and address and, and you go, oh, it's about time. And you pull out a beautiful invitation and you realize, ah, we've been invited to a wedding or a graduation party or an anniversary party or something that you have to respond to. And so you, you find the response card and you fill it out. We save these invitations and uh, here's the one from Tammy and Chris. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Special, special, special. What a privilege. What a blessing to share that event with someone else. We clear our schedules, we come up to the day, and depending on how much we're involved in that event, we check our wardrobe and make sure we have the proper attire. Some of us get extra rest so that we can enjoy the event so, so well. But we love getting invitations for the right things. However, we live in a restless and weary world, do we not? We try to function on less and less sleep, and so either we don't want to miss something, or we just have more and more to do. We have to work extra hours to keep up with the Joneses, whoever the Joneses are. We're we're trying to figure out life. And I think some of our weariness in our lives today is due to the fact that we are trying to search for what is truth. The phrase that has been made popular the last couple years is uh, fake news. But we are also surrounded with fake truth. And I think it drives us to exhaustion that every day we are testing things and saying, is this really true? And you know that if it's on the internet, it must be true. Amen? No, thank you for not taking that bait. If it's in print and in, on the internet, it's uh, very suspect. But that's the new place to look for truth. And it drives us to exhaustion. Well, in the passage we're going to look at this morning, we are going to receive an invitation from King Jesus. We're going to look at a passage that Jesus offers us something that we desperately need, and that is rest. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30. Now what's the setting or the background for this passage If you were to read earlier in Matthew 11, 
and combine it with parallel passages, you would find out that this, this what Jesus is saying right here follows after he sends out the 70 followers of his to surrounding cities. They are kind of their, his front men to visit these cities and to tell them, Jesus is going to come visit your city in the near future. Get ready. They're going from town to town. And what his followers find and what Jesus already knows, but it's being confirmed in the minds of his followers, is that this is an unresponsive generation. They are rejecting Jesus and his message. And you will find in Matthew 11, verses 20 to 24, the fact that he begins to pronounce woes, which is judgment on some of these cities. Why? Because Jesus is being rejected. He is truth embodied. He has a saving message. And these cities have said, we've seen your miracles, we've heard your teaching, and we reject it as truth. Being rejected. He's blatantly being rejected by these favored cities of Galilee. And yet, what we're going to find in the passage just right after, verses 25 to 30, this tender invitation that the Savior extends to those that are listening to him. Jesus, full of grace. He now offers grace to his listeners in the midst of rejection and judgment. Now you would think if he was being rejected, he, you know, if we were rejected, you know what we would say? I'm going to take my ball and go home. I'm not going to play anymore with you. And Jesus, which just amazes me, is in the midst of being rejected by these major cities, still offers this invitation to those that are listening and to us this morning. Let me read the passage for you and then we'll go back through and understand it. Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In that passage, there is a promise starting in verse 28, this invitation. Well, in verses 25 and 26, we see Jesus is thankful for the childlike, for the little children in us. 
In verses 25 through 27, which I find so amazing, the word father is repeated five times in only three verses. Take note. And what Matthew does here in verses 25 and 26 is he records one of the prayers of Jesus to his father. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. See, Jesus is praising the Father for his wisdom and grace. And when he is called the Lord of heaven and earth, that's a title of sovereignty. He is in control. Now, please remember, what's the context? Jesus is being rejected. Rejected by cities, rejected by individuals. But when he prays and calls the Father the Lord of heaven and earth, he is stating, and hear this clearly, that nothing could frustrate the Father's sovereign purposes. Nothing. Do you understand that that includes your life as well? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what struggles or hardships you are facing. But there has to be times in your life as there is in mine is, God, are you still in control? Life is kind of reeling out of control seemingly right now. I don't understand what's going on. Are you still sitting on the throne? Now, in one sense, I know the answer. But sometimes in my life, I need to say that out loud to remind myself, yes, God the Father is still on the throne. Amen? Amen. He's on the throne of your life. So Jesus was going through this rejection. And he thanks the Father. You're still on the throne. He says that salvation, this message that Jesus has brought, has been revealed to all these people, but the wise and the self-sufficient have said, I don't need it. But there are these few, these humble, dependent children. God has made it clear to them. They need a savior. These are absolute dependence on someone else. And he says at the end of verse 26, your gracious will, his will for us, he desires to favor us with blessing if we would just receive them. But so often we want to do life our own way. Amen? Let let me be in charge. Let me sit on the throne of my life because, um, God, I know you're busy with everyone else, so let me just take care of my own life. And, and God, at times, has to laugh at us. At least chuckle. Oh, little puny one, you think you know what you're doing. Yeah, I'm making a mess. You're exactly right. In verse 27 I wish I could do this verse justice, but I will tell you this is one of the most deep verses 
I have ever run across in the scriptures. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This is another claim of Jesus being the Son of God. And he is saying, I have all authority. The Father has handed it to me. It also reveals somewhat, and I don't fully get it, this revelation of this inner relationship between the Father and the Son. But I do see a simple, true statement in verse 27. In the midst of growing opposition, Jesus is still in control. And I don't know what you're going through, but he is still in control as well. Well, then we come to verses 28 to 30. This invitation to the weary and burdened. This is an invitation of King Jesus to us. And he promises that the word that's that just pops out of the text, rest, rest. What a beautiful word. Now, some of you are resting right now. Ah, the ones who are laughing looked next to them and saw someone, yes. Some of you are enjoying a break from your children. Some of you are here for this time and enjoying respite from your troubles. You're escaping others' expectations. Often we come to church looking to gain insight into this question. Lord, are you really in control of my life? Because I look at it. Please help me resolve this big question. I need rest from trying to control my own life and its outcomes. Does that not make you weary? trying to keep all the balls in the air at the same time, trying to keep the family together, trying to keep the kids in line no matter what their age. We come to church like this and we say, I don't understand. My expectations are not being met. My agenda is not being followed. Lord, I want to follow you, but there are so many stinking rules to follow. And we're weary. We lack rest. And so as we need rest, we turn to other things. We turn to busyness. We turn to alcohol. We turn to pornography. We turn to shopping therapy. I've heard it called recently. We fill our lives with other things saying, maybe I can find some kind of rest here. Some kind of respite from my issues and problems. And can I just take my mind off of that thing that is just eating my lunch today? I need rest. And all of us at times run to other things to look for some kind of relief in our lives. But here's the reality. We're still looking, aren't we? We're still trying to find rest. 
So in verse 28, what a comforting verse. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Jesus extends this this invitation. He issues a call to us, to anyone who hears this word and says, come to me. And notice, don't come to a program. Don't even come to church. But come to a person. Because rest is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And notice how large of an invitation all of us, if we put on an event, say we're limiting because we only have so much space. But he says, come to me all. It's a universal invitation. All who labor and are heavy laden. Labor. Tired from hard toil. Continued weariness. And as I thought about this, You're still searching for the truth. You're still trying to make sense out of life. And you're laboring. And you're burdened or heavy laden. You're loaded down. And Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Notice in the text, it does not say you can work for it. You can purchase it. This kind of rest he gives as a gift to us. Do we deserve it? No. Do we merit it? No. Can I earn part of it? No. But come to Jesus and he gives you this gift. And this is an invitation to salvation. See, it's not a life of doing, but it's a relationship where he has done all the work for us already. One author called this positional rest. That's a good theological term. But what he is saying is, would you come to know me personally? And I don't care what you're struggling with, I can bring rest to your search for truth I can bring rest to your striving to make life all fit together. Come to me. And I think sometimes after we've embraced Christ as our Savior, we forget he still offers this to you. And we think now we've got to figure it out ourselves. And if you're here this morning and you're weary and heavy laden or burdened know christ personally understand salvation for what it is it's a free gift to you but that gift continues to be given to you every day as part of the family of god he will give us rest as we come to know him personally in verses 29 and 30 there's a second invitation Verse 28, come to me. That's an invitation. But in verse 29, he has a second invitation. Take my yoke upon you. That is an invitation. It's an invitation to discipleship and service. 
And I want you to think through some of the yoke lessons that are involved. Now, I don't have laying around my house a yoke that I could have brought in today, but basically it's a piece of wood that goes across two oxen and they are joined together and in the midst of that yoke, there is a burden placed lifting or pulling but they are joined together through this piece called a yoke. Now, what are some of the lessons that come out of this passage as I thought through this? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Taking up the yoke of Jesus is a choice that I must make. I must take the initiative. I must decide, will I get in the yoke with Jesus or not? Now, I have that option. And there are some believers who have embraced Christ as their Savior, but never decide to get into the yoke with him. And notice this little word that just kind of turns everything. Whose yoke is it? It's my yoke. It's Jesus' yoke. So Jesus says, here's the yoke. The yoke is for two. I'm in one side. Join me. Join me on the other side of the yoke so that we can do this together. Wow, that's an invitation. But understand something. This is Jesus' yoke. He's already in the yoke. He invites me to get in the yoke with him. Do you understand what I do when I get in the yoke with him? I submit to his will. Because as we're pulling through life, if I'm in the yoke with Jesus, guess who's going to set the direction for where we're going? He is. We don't like getting in this yoke because I seemingly, seemingly lose freedom. And Jesus now sets the direction and the tone. But here's what I understood this week as I studied this and I was writing this out last night. All of us have chosen a yoke for ourselves already. We're all yoked to something or someone by our own choice. And Jesus says to us so gently and so lovingly, would you leave your yoke of self-effort and would you get in the yoke that I provide? Take on my yoke. And then he says, learn from me. A disciple is called a learner. And do you know what I have to learn when I'm in the yoke with Jesus? I have to learn every day how to submit to the yoke. Where is he going? What's he going to do? I have to submit my will to his. Because what happens if I'm in the yoke and I don't like where we're going and I pull one direction? Do you think Jesus is going to take me out of the, no, he's not going to take me out. You know what happens to me? I get all chafed up. 
I get all roughed up by this piece of wood that is trying to help me move forward together with Jesus, and I'm fighting it. Jesus wants to do God's will, and he wants to do it with us. He says, get in the yoke with me. It's mine. And then he says in verse 30, and we'll come back to other parts of the passage, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And we say, what? My yoke is easy. The, the word there, easy, means well-fitted, suitable, good, reasonable. So, one commentator said, and I think this is so true, Jesus being a craftsman, at times a woodworker, I imagine there was a sign outside of his shop. Now, I know this isn't true, but I think biblically it is. I have great yokes. They don't chafe at all. Because see, when I'm in the yoke with Jesus and I'm listening to the Father's will and Jesus is already doing it and when we start pulling together, I don't get chafed up. Matter of fact, there's a joy in both of us pulling at the same rate at the same time. Yoke is easy. And the burden is light. Why? Why is the burden light? Because Jesus is pulling with me. It's not me against the world. It's not me against this situation. It's Jesus in me. And who has authority? All authority. Who has all power? Who has all knowledge? Who has all truth? Who understands the will of the Father? He's pulling with me. The burden becomes light, manageable, doable, because Jesus is in the yoke with me. And he says, as we do this, you will find rest for your souls. See, Jesus offers rest for all who follow his way as we yoke together with him. Now, there's one thing I jumped over that I want to come back and I want you to see. Because I think I may be wrong, but this is maybe the only time in the scriptures where Jesus describes himself. Now, he doesn't call himself the door or the bread of life. Those are all analogies. But in verse 29, he describes himself, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. How would you describe yourself to someone else? It's an interesting thought. But these are the two words that he chooses to let us know more about him. Gentle, lowly of heart. Now, this word gentle is also found in Matthew 5, 5, and it says, blessed are the meek. Meek. The words gentle and meek could be interchangeable. And when we hear the word meek, we think the word weak. But it doesn't fit, does it? 
Because Jesus is not weak, amen? He's very powerful. So when he describes himself as meek, that means we do not have a proper definition biblically of what meekness is. Meekness is power under control. Power under control. Did Jesus have all power? Yes. Under whose authority did he use it? The Father's. I come to do your will, Father. He could have done so many things, but he kept going to the Father and say, Father, what do you want me to do? Show me your will. Help me live it out. We had an old horse at camp, and I've used this story before, but I, I love it. The horse's name was Bucky. It was a huge off-white horse. Huge one of the largest horses that we would bring in for the summer. But every summer that I was there, make sure you bring Bucky this year. Why? This horse was over 1,000 pounds. That's a half a ton. But you could put a three-year-old on Bucky's back and you could lead him around the corral and I would never fear what would happen to that child. Why? Because Bucky was meek. Now, could Bucky gallop? Yes, I've seen it. Could Bucky throw someone if he wanted to? Yes, he never did. But he was power under control. So Jesus describes himself as meek. Power under control. And humble of heart. Humble lowly of heart. And that reminds me of Philippians chapter 2 where Jesus came not to be served but to serve. To serve us. That's how he describes himself. So the question this morning is are you weary spiritually? Do you find yourself reaching out to other things to find comfort and rest, to fill the voids, to fill the craziness that is going on around you and the chaos, to lessen it? Can I say to you this morning, look to Jesus. I'm going to ask you this morning to commit yourself afresh to take on the yoke of Jesus. He is saying to you, Come take on my yoke. Learn how I operate within the yoke. I come to do the Father's will. I want you to learn how to do the Father's will. Get in the yoke with me. And it looks so appealing until we realize we must submit our will to his and we balk. We balk. I beg you, submit to the will of the Father. Would you allow Jesus to carry the load in tandem with you of your life? He brings to the yoke understanding the Father's will, a relationship with Him. He knows where to go. 
He has strength and power to help you lift your load and to take it where it needs to go. But you have to choose to do that. Would you take off the yokes that you are trying to make sense of your life? You're trying to control the outcomes of your life. Would you take off those yokes? And would you decide this morning to get in the yoke that Jesus is inviting you to take on? Submit to his will. And when you do that, The promise of the Savior is, you get in the yoke with me, you will find rest for your souls. Oh, I want rest so badly, but am I willing to say no to self and yes to Jesus? And I don't care whether you've been a believer for weeks or for decades. I think for all of us, this becomes almost a daily decision in my life. Will I get in the yoke with him or will I do my own thing today? Yeah, moment by moment. So where are you at today? Are you in the yoke with Jesus? Or are you in other yokes trying to make sense of your life, trying to take control of the things you think you can control, I challenge you this morning. Get in the yoke with Jesus. Learn from him. That's the whole grow process. Learn how to serve with him. See, we all need to experience rest spiritually. We all need at times to take on this yoke to, to please God. Jesus only has one yoke. He's always the tandem partner in it with you. And as I get in this yoke with Jesus, do you know what I understand? I become more meek and I become more humble. Because this is Jesus' yoke, it's not mine. And I learn from the master how to pull the load of life together. Let's pray.